Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me this evening, Nicole Davis. How are you? I'm well. I'm happy to um, not be living in the chilly Scottish Highlands where there's stuff in the woods that you got to watch out for and <laughs> guys on motorcycles and you know, yeah, it's 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 nice to be in my nice toasty apartment. Seventy degrees today. It was quite lovely. It's a cold movie. Like everything about it, sometimes just feels very cold. Uh, we'll get yes. into that though. Uh, David Luzader also joining us. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I I didn't uh, see. I didn't think of a, 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 a opening that ties in with this movie. So I was trying to quickly load one into my brain, but there's like. Nothing I can really joke about with it because uh, I can't use any lines from this movie because there's like six of them. Uh, but, you know. Can't wait to get back to the beach. Right, exactly. No, I live alone. Right. <laughs> Nicole definitely upped the ante from Drive, a different future classic pick of hers in terms of uh, sparse uh scripting uh but we watched under the skin a 20 is it a 2013 film and then it came out in 2014 in the uk i'm seeing both years it came out in the uk in 2013 and the us in 2014 flipped right because it of course is was made in the uk all right wonderful but before we watch that i do or talk about it we already watched it this is what happens when you record on I Thursdays, you guys. It. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This movie in particular, I, I've never flown blind on this podcast. This would be a bad movie to start with. Uh, no, but before we talk about Under the Skin, I do want to announce what next week's movie is going to be. It is Around the World Week, and you know what that means. It means that someone gets to pick a film not made in the United States uh, and bring it to the table. It can have come out in any time, any genre, no restrictions on that. It just can't have been made in the U.S., it's my pick this time around, and I wrestled with this because I had some that were English-speaking, non-English-speaking. I know I get crap for the former. Uh, I'm leaning into that. I don't <laughs> care. Uh, Nicole, you did too, so you can't you can't tell me it's wrong. But I did it I, once, man. <laughs> well, you know what? You guys can bring you all the subtitles anyway. That's very true. <laughs> you guys can bring all the wonderful uh, films that I know nothing about throughout East Asia and Japan and all those places. I'm going to bring us something from Australia next week because we haven't watched an Australian film yet. So we are going to go uh, from one problematic lead actor to another. Uh, 1979's Mad Max. So... <laughs> This is going to be very interesting, I think. Uh, hopefully you guys... Have you guys seen Mad Max, the original? No. I have. Okay, this will be interesting, because I know we all have a love for Fury Road. Uh, so, David, you in particular, it'll be cool for you to see the where it all started. Yeah, no, that'll be interesting. Uh, plus, I mean, you know, as problematic as he is now, it doesn't <laughs> hurt to look at a young Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, he it, wasn't a total garbage person back right, then. Once, once upon a time. <laughs> uh, so it, th- I thought that'd be interesting to check out. It's always been one of my favorite dystopian films of the 70s, and in some ways feels a little bit like this in terms of the way it's shot. Uh, but let's talk about Under mm. the Skin this week. Uh, it came out again in 2013. Uh, a woman of unknown origin methodically combs the roads around Glasgow in search of isolated or forsaken men, luring a succession of them into an otherworldly lair. There, they are seduced, stripped of their humanity, and never heard from again. But as she discovers to develop empathy, she abandons her duties and begins a process of self-discovery. Firstly, Nicole, how did you find this movie? Because this stars Scarlett Johansson, and I've never heard of it. Oh, wow. I'm really surprised that you have not heard of it. Um, Yeah. But this was, uh, you know, when this came out, I I saw the posters for it. um, But I mean, I, I go to, and I don't mean this to sound snooty at all. I've, like I've said before, I'm very fortunate. I live in an area that has more than one art cinema that I can go visit. And, um, one of them had the poster up for this and I was just like, Oh, hmm, I wonder what this is about. And when I went to see it, it's one of those movies where you just sit there and you just kind of, just kind of have to let yourself absorb it before you can figure it out completely. Um, and it, it's one that really sticks with you, you know, love it or hate it. You remember it. Um, so, I mean, this is, you know, it's, uh, it's different. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. a little, I'm actually a little bit surprised, Brett, that you hadn't seen it because even though I, or hadn't even heard of it, because even though I hadn't seen it, I was pretty well aware of the movie. Um, though I guess I, I spend a fair amount of time on Reddit and this movie definitely got talked about and came up in Reddit because it's, you know, a very Reddity film and Redditor type film. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I did a bunch of reading on this. I, I always try to do as much as I can. And Nicole, you put a great article over to me that I'll throw in our docket as well. That's a quick interview with the uh, the composer of the film, uh, the the person who scored the film. But I did more reading on this guy because there's some Reddit rabbit holes that you can go down with this movie, as David <laughs> alluded to, that are feisty. <laughs> People get angry about this movie. Um, to me, it, upon initial viewing, it reminded me, and I saw that that the Robert the Robert uh, Ebert review, the Roger Ebert, the Roger Ebert review, I'm really struggling tonight, guys. The Roger Ebert review uh, also kind of alluded to this, that it felt to me, like kind of a 1970s science fiction film that leans really heavily mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the the atmospheric, jarring visuals, and this you know, uh, you know, just absolutely explosive audio. Um, it felt like Man Who Fell to Earth more than it feels like something that has come out as a contemporary science fiction film. And I don't think we see a lot of those films. Like when I was watching this, films like Mandy came to mind. I can't think of a ton others that are contemporary quite like this mm. hmm. yeah it's uh it's definitely atmospheric i think is a very good word for this movie because it, it relies heavily on on sound more than it does dialogue now 
Nicole, your docket question right up top is, uh, this film forces you to watch from the alien's perspective, so we never get an explanation of what's going on. Is it asking too much of the audience? And David, you've also expanded upon that, saying, in the same vein, does that lack of you know, clear, real narrative structure hurt the film? And I read over and over people calling it an experience, a cinematic oh. experience, uh, rather than a strict narrative story meant to be absorbed like a regular film. It's a companion piece in a way to a great novel. Uh, oh. like, like a 2001 type comparison is what I was seeing thrown around a lot. I don't know if that's fair. I think to call something an experience somewhat diminishes it. I think it, it can it, stand on its own, especially because I haven't seen, I haven't read the novel and I, I like this. So yeah. there's that. I mean, there's a there's a narrative here. It's just not laid out for you. You know, there's a story. There are characters that you're following. There's, you know, she has a, a character arc and there's some story to it. And it's just, there's no, you know, it, it becomes, I thought it was fairly clear, but I mean, I had also heard of the book before I went to see the movie. So I knew going in that, She's an alien, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it's you pretty much get it from the fact that there's really weird stuff going on in the beginning. And then you see these lights above this tall apartment block. And then you see her going down the stairs and coming outside. So you have to, you know, you have to infer the steps in between. But it's not that hard to make the connections. At least I didn't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that. You know, I think uh, especially on websites like Reddit, they love to talk about like, oh, I hate it when studios spoon feed me what's going on, you know, like trust your audience. Then like they'll turn around and if a movie is slightly confusing, they'll be like, I didn't get it. They should have explained it. Anyway, what I'm saying is the internet <laughs> is full of hypocrites. Um, I think this movie does. A <laughs> no. Right. I, I think this movie does a pretty good job of giving you a really strong gist of what is going on. Um, like Nicole said, you can kind of cue pretty quick that they're aliens. You know, it starts with her. Uh, like the, the opening visuals have Scarlett Johansson making a bunch of uh uh, noise like vowel sounds like uh, language sounds in the beginning you know which you can kind of infer like okay she's figuring out how to speak and like there's lights over the the city so you know aliens something's going on she's seducing these men she's taking them for some purpose uh the only thing that like i wanted more is like to what end to what purpose and yeah that's yeah, Sorry, it's, fine. it's fine that they don't give me that, but it's like I, I leave this and, and reflect upon it being a little bit like I really just, you know, one line of dialogue, one little something uh, would have been just nice. So I'm like, OK, she's taking them for food. She's taking them for sustenance for their species. Like, and also who like the motorcyclist is like her boss. I guess we're going to get into all this. <laughs> uh, there's there's like 15 discussion topics <laughs> nestled in there. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, that, that's, I think just that's, I don't want to say complaint. That is like the thing that I would have liked to be a little bit different is just a little bit of clarity on what they're doing. Yeah. I haven't read the book, but I've heard about it and apparently it's much, much clearer in the book because it's, it's told from her perspective yeah um but they are they're collecting people for food they it's mm. a delicacy 
among her people. So they're like, the book is like an indictment of capitalism and factory farming and a whole bunch of other things. Um, so, I mean, you again, this one, you, you only get to infer it here. We see the men being sucked down and discorporated in some way. (laughs) And then you see this sort of red slurry going on a conveyor into a red slot, you know? So it's like, I, I presumed that was people, uh, substance. (laughs) I can't even really call it particular parts because like, it's sort of this, it's like, you know, chicken nugget paste it's it's pink whatever yeah it it should be green and then we have the follow-up movie where one of the other aliens discovers that it's people and didn't know all along (laughs) you know for a species that isn't human i was a little bit surprised when her face was scarlett johansson's face (laughs) at the very end well she's she's bait you know well, right, no, no. I mean, like when she. Oh, takes you mean the, underneath? Yeah, she takes the she takes the face off. She takes her face off. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I thought it was together. just like, yeah, I th- I thought it was something where they were they were able to shape shift somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it she had like the underlying uh, shape to put the face onto. Yeah. Because the the very opening sequence of the movie it starts out silent and then you see this like this little bright dot and then you see this black sphere and then you see like this white sort of torus shape and then you see the sphere moving through the white part and you're not entirely sure what's going on and um, what the director says later said later um, I watched all the special features they're they're pretty sparse as well but. Um, the director slash writer says they're building an eye. So that's oh. what is going on at the very beginning of the movie. Interesting. Um, so she does not have eyes the way people do. So I'm guessing that they don't really have uh, the right shape um, Interesting. themselves. So that's why it looks kind of like a person underneath when her skin slips at the end. Interesting. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about the beginning of the film where we do see what seems to be like her alien predecessor because Bike Man, as I'll just call him from here on out, because apparently he's also Bad Man, which kind of answers one of my questions later. Like, apparently he's kind of <laughs> bad. Um, I But Bike Man, for the purposes of this discussion, uh, he goes and gets that other body, uh, the other woman. And then brings it to what seems to, we're just going to call the voids, apparently, like the good place. There's like the good void and the bad void. And this seems to be like the good void at the beginning because everything's white. They're in an Apple commercial. And uh, she takes the identity of her predecessor to me, it seems. And her predecessor has that lingering teardrop. And it made me think that, you know, in this movie, as we touched on in the synopsis, it's the story of her trying to figure out empathy and trying to decide if she even wants to be empathetic and in what capacity. And I wonder if whoever her predecessor was fell victim to a similar fate, because I I do think there's a case to be made that her attempts to normalize eventually lead to some of the situations that eventually spoiler alert, get her killed at the end. And I wonder if that happened to the person before her um, or alien before her rather. Uh, What do you guys think? 
Yeah, it, it's a little ambiguous whether or not that is like supposed to be her predecessor or it's like a person that whose identity she's taking or something. Um, but a lot of people, I did do some reading. A lot of people do seem to think like that was the the the, the bait before her. Um, I think, yeah, I think it, it's an interesting idea that they are kind of caught in this cycle of like we send people down there or, or members of our species down there to collect these bodies for purpose and uh boy they keep getting uh involved and caring about these people and feeling bad about the murders how weird well (laughs) just keep going (laughs) that's kind of the vibe i got especially with the teardrop like there's this somber element to the transition of roles there at the very beginning that sets a unique tone i think for how she slowly starts getting more apprehensive in a way of what she's doing yeah i mean scarlett johansson's character is just very methodically and impersonally uh, stripping the clothes off the, the dead woman and uh, it's or dead or paralyzed. It's kind of hard to, to figure out. I mean, there's a stray tear, but I mean, that might not be mm-hmm. a voluntary action. Um, but yeah, she's very just, you know, mechanical, like she's undressing a doll almost. She's, she's not putting any thought to the uh, personhood of who she's stripping. Um, so, but yeah, that's, I think it's a, that's a little bit of a plot hole because if it's just the identity, you could, you know, kill the woman and, and take her IDs and go get, right. you know, the, the guy on the bike could go get clothes for her to wear. And, and why you not know, make Scarlett she, Johansson yeah. look like her if it's... If yeah, just for continuity. Through. Yeah, Guys, I work in marketing. It's okay. I figured this out. They A-B tested different sets of clothes, and they have discovered that this particular <laughs> set is the set that works best alluring creepy guys into dark voids. Are all of them creepy, though? No. 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 So. No. No, because like they're people that she stops on the street and is just like, hey, where? how do I get to this place? I'm going to make a strong case for two creepers. One is the obvious creeper, and then one is the creeper that says, hey, come live with me, but let's not talk. Like, <laughs> there's something weird going on with that guy. It crosses a line from just, I'm here to help you. Yeah. Well, uh, no. You mean the guy what? at the end? No, no. The guy that, that finds her on a oh, bus looking all disheveled end. and sad. Oh, wait. No, you're talking about that guy. Yeah. He finds uh, her all like disheveled yeah, and no, sad. No, that's the nice guy. Yeah, but I wouldn't he... call him. Well, what, what is he? I mean, he's not. He's He sees a woman wandering down the street who obviously looks distressed and is like, hey, do you need help? Right. But his reaction is not like, let's go to the police station or something like that. It's come to my house and I'll take you on scenic jaunts through the Scottish countryside. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's bizarre to me. I mean, they're also in a small, small village in the Scottish countryside. You know, I don't, it's, it's not quite like a city. I, I, I met this guy could be the cop for all we know, or the, you know, <laughs> constable who makes sure the kids aren't <laughs> knocking over trash cans at, 2 a.m. I think it's a different way of life. Perhaps so. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps I'm reading that weird as like an as a 
urban dweller in a massive city. It's just, it's a bizarre <laughs> thing to me, especially because he, she doesn't give him anything to, to go off of in terms of being particularly interested in him or even that willing to be around him. She kind of just follows him innocently and vacantly without saying anything to him at any point. I don't know if I think I'm, I read him as, you know, seeing this woman who's clearly in some kind of emotional shock over something. And I, I don't know that he sees her necessarily as, you know, like running from the law or if she did want that kind of help, would she ask him for it? Because he asks if she needs help and she says yes, but she doesn't say, you know, I'm running away from an abusive boyfriend or I'm, um, I don't know, my house burned down and I don't know where to go anymore or, or anything like that. Or I can't eat cake without just, throwing up and it's, 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 <laughs> it's just, she's, you know, she's, she's in a bad emotional place and she's willing to let him help her, but he doesn't want to take advantage of that. And he very carefully does not. You know, he's very solicitous of her and how she feels. You know, he picks it. He, he does like the ultimate gallantry and picks her up to carry her over a puddle <laughs> that they come across. You know, and when they get to the top of this castle that's, you know, open to tourists, um, she seems to be afraid of the height up at the top. And so he very carefully walks her down the stone stairs, making sure she's okay. You know, and it's just, I I think he's supposed to be, you know, the, the hope of humanity in the film, really. <laughs> I So I totally missed what apparently the, the, <laughs> they were going for with this guy because he just came off as creepy and lonely to me. Uh, I mean, well, I mean yeah, maybe lonely, he was, but I, that's, I just read him a completely other way. Interesting. Yeah. I, I never... I. He, it never felt like he was like forcing himself on her in any way. Like, no, I he, didn't get that vibe either. It just seemed odd to me that, that there was some sort of connection developing all the way up to a physical one that was built on no interaction whatsoever. You know, not even, it'd be different if, if she wasn't vocal with him, but was communicative in some other way. And she just doesn't seem to be at all. I don't know. I mean, I do think that her character development happens the most during him. We see her trying to figure out comedy. We see her trying to figure out music. Um, we, see, we see her realizing maybe either for the first time or just remembering that she's not human and doesn't have all the parts that humans have. Or or like another take on that is like kind of discovering sexuality a little bit. Like maybe, maybe whatever is done to them to, when they put on the skin is like so complete because like if they don't have eyes and they're building eyes, you know, they might build other parts for whatever purpose. And it could just be a, a huge old surprise to her. Of like, Hey, what's going on down there? It sure <laughs> seems to be a surprise. Yeah, <laughs> definitely does. Yeah, so, certainly. Uh, it's one right, of so the very few moments of comedy in this was where she scoots down to the end and then like snatches the yeah. lamp off the end, of the, off the dresser so she can see what she's got going on. <laughs> so, 
Now, now throughout all of this, though, there is Bike Man, or as the credits call him, the Bad Man, which I suppose answers my question, which is, you know, what are everyone's thoughts on him? Is he is he good? Is he bad? Is he from the same planet? Is he her boss? Is he her handler? Is she running from him? I know I just threw a lot of questions out there in this voice, but I feel like <laughs> these are all really interesting things that the movie basically just lets you mull over. It doesn't give you a lot. My assumption is that he... He's not maybe necessarily her boss, but he's someone a totem pole above. Like he's in charge of making sure that stuff gets cleaned up. And he seems to be doing that pretty well. Yeah, it's like handler slash supervisor slash cleaner. He's middle management. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that seems to kind of be how it is. But then, and then there's like like four of them at one point. Yeah, because he gets a bunch of them together. Three when. Of them. Yeah. Because they can't find her. Which so this rogue. Right. So are, is it kind of agreed upon that he definitely is also from the same place she is, probably? Yeah. 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 Okay. Do you think she's running from him at a certain point? Or do you think she goes rogue inadvertently just by starting to discover all these emotions, quote unquote? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think she's ever running in the intentional sense of I've got to get away from them. I think it's, it's more just kind of circumstance where it's like now she's lost in a drift and she's trying to figure it out and has kind of forgotten maybe a little bit about all that. Um, but I don't think that she was consciously <clears throat> from my perspective, it didn't seem like she was consciously like, I got to get away from him, make sure he can't find me. But I guess maybe if she's abandoning the van in the middle of the road. Yeah. I mean, I, I think her, decision to leave was impulsive um but once she actually gets going on the road i think she she realizes that she needs to hide some degree so she you know in a fog bank she just stops the van and abandons it completely and just goes walking off in a random direction and finds a lovely little restaurant it is a lovely little restaurant, a lovely view. Every yeah. time she eats in this movie, I, I just can't help but think of what we do in the shadows. Where it's just not supposed <laughs> to be eaten. That's not the way your body works. You can't eat chips anymore. Uh, like I, and I know I'm taking this off, of that, but I was, I've been watching the What We Do in the Shadows TV show. And it's, it's great. It's actually really good. It, it keeps so well good. in the spirit of the Oh, film. it's fantastic. But I'm bummed like... <laughs> When they try to eat stuff, it's just like kind of regular colored projectile vomit because they can't do like blood shooting out of their mouths. Hey, well, yeah. <laughs> Unless it's anyway. the Baron. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. The, the Baron, Baron has quite the trip. Uh, yeah. The moving back to watch what we do in the shadows on FX on Hulu. <laughs> what, uh, hey, very the, good. The Baron, the Baron and the alien in this movie. I would say they're not too far off. I would say maybe distant cousins. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean... It seems to me like she might be running from him a little bit. And I, I do think there's this, I mean, he's called the bad man in the credits. So there is this ominous part of him that is almost, it, it's totally vacant of the emotion that she is starting to develop, right? Like he doesn't seem to have any issue yeah. uh, cleaning up her mess. He doesn't even seem angry by it. It's just like, this is what I do. No, it's all business. It's his job. Yeah. Yeah. He's very efficient. Uh, let's move on to a couple other light topics uh so much going on here nicole all right i feel like we should yes. hit these one by one because um there's a lot going on here uh sexual predation to start with 
the ending of this movie is horrifically scary to me, actually. Like, I don't know if it's how meant... I don't know how much they meant this to be scary, but the shots of her running through the forest being chased by this man trying to rape her, um, while also, like, not... It almost seems like she knows he's a threat, but not why he's a threat or how he's a threat. So she's not like crying out for help or anything like that. Like she's not doing things that a regular human might do, like scream and try to get somebody. It's just like the silent chase. Yeah. Well, I mean, she is to some degree, you know, it's it's a little like a, a spy movie almost. You know, she's an agent who's infiltrated this group that she doesn't belong to and anything that she does to draw attention to herself could turn out to be very, very bad if they find out who she is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's why she isn't just calling out randomly for help. Also, she's in the middle of a forest. It's very unlikely there's going to be anyone to hear her anyhow. Um, But yeah, it, it is very scary. But I mean, this, this movie starts out, the other way around from the standard, you know, she's the predator. She's the, she's using her sexuality to, to get men and using their sexuality to, you know, she's manipulating their sexual desires in order to get them where she needs them to be, to capture them. Yeah. Even like either she has some strange pheromone she releases or like there's some commentary there or she looks like scarlett johansson like these men (laughs) don't notice that they are in a void now and like they're sinking into a pool oh that part yeah yeah, because all they can think about is like i just i gotta get that scar joe and and she has to strip them like both metaphorically and physically in terms of just their essence as humans you know they only fall into this void puddle i suppose that's what we can call it uh when they're fully naked uh and she almost makes the point to never get fully naked as if like she doesn't want to fall in like i don't i don't know if there's anything to that but they only go all the way down once they've taken off everything well uh, oh, i hadn't man, thought of that there's but too many right. jokes in there i don't i don't have time to part <laughs> Uh, no, no but- I I think you're right about the there being some kind of maybe pheromone involved at least in the um, there, in the in black kind of void yeah. because when we see the last the last guy who becomes a, a victim to her um, who where we actually get to see what happens under the floor of her room um, he appears to be sort of twitching and shaking his head as if he's shaking off the effects of alcohol or a drug or trying, you know, he's, he knows he's feeling different, but not quite sure what's going on entirely. Yeah. I also felt like so, the, uh, the, the bloated guy was kind of shaking his head a little bit. Cause like I t- in my head, I would, that was him being like, no, I touched the last guy and he exploded. Don't touch me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I thought that was the, first guy that she that she caught according to uh, wikipedia uh it was the swimmer oh okay that's certainly possible they had similar hairstyles so yeah but uh, we've kind of gotten off track but i I do think (laughs) but just to say i think that the point that we started with uh what nicole mentioned is really interesting where it does start off where the woman is the predator and 
the consequences of it are, are very dire and it's it's i don't know like just that that aspect of it is very interesting and super intriguing especially like the more that you learn kind of about how this film was made yeah well, and i mean i also wonder if you know if they tried it the other way around and realized it wasn't going to work at all well because men aren't taught to be afraid of pretty women or cautious about getting into cars with attractive mm -hmm. women mm -hmm. and women from like minute one pretty much are like don't get into cars with strange men don't yeah you know don't tell them that you're that you live alone don't tell them that you don't have any friends don't, you know don't give them any information that they don't need to have well, originally, so. originally there was a male lead in the film, but it was, it was going to be like a, a <laughs> husband and wife duo uh, that were aliens that were, you know, doing whatever it is they're doing in this movie. They're and supposed to originally... be farmers abducting humans, with one yeah, of them being Brad Pitt. <laughs> one of them was, yeah, it was the 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 man was Brad Pitt originally. Wow. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because reading the brief piece I did on what this was supposed to be and how many rewrites and years it took to get it to what it ended up being. It is shocking that this is actually good, right? Like the <laughs> amount of production hell this went through multiple leads, almost a decade being created by the, by the director five years in talks with Scarlett Johansson uh, originally was going to be the husband, wife duo aliens farming and kidnapping it's shocking that this ended up being as profound and beautiful as it is. Well, and, and uh, like there was supposed to be a lot more like big special effects moments that had to get pulled because it just it kept becoming a smaller and quieter movie as it went on, um, which I think might be to its credit. I think this what this movie is saying, it's, its messaging is probably a lot more effective because it is so small that it might have got lost a little bit in some of the some of the hubbub. I, I love Annihilation, um, but there are also times at Annihilation where it's like, just look at this pretty thing. <laughs> I don't even yeah. want to think about that bear right now, David. I can't think about the Annihilation <laughs> what about the bear. Part, what about the part when he opens up the guy and his guts are moving around? Yeah. That's been stuck with me lately. <laughs> or the Annihilation bear just screaming in his voice. I can't. Okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, it it will come up later uh yeah just so you're aware but um yeah i mean i i think that's probably a function of how long this was in development because i think the longer you live with an idea for a story or a song or a poem and the more you turn it over and over in your head the more you realize what's extraneous you know, what you don't need in order to tell the story. Unless you're Terry your Gilliam. <laughs> and, and I say well, that as okay, someone that yeah. loves that movie and, and <laughs> was going to bring it to the show until I decided on something else. But uh, yes, you are right. Yeah, Wait, well, which movie are you talking about for Terry Gilliam? Uh, Don Quixote. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, according according to Gemma Arter, Ar Arterton, Arterton. Arterton. She was originally supposed to be the the lead role but they had to get scarlett johansson in the movie to like secure funding that's how Ugh. small this movie got it's like we need to actually put someone you big have in this. to get scarlett johansson 
Hey, man. Look, whatever you're feeling, Scarlett Johansson, she is a box office. Oh, no. I say that jokingly because I have such conflicted feelings about her. And we'll probably get into this next week. Just a different side of that coin. But like, I think she is. She like playing like Russian roulette of like hot takes in Hollywood. You shouldn't say while also being one of the most like exceptional actresses in Hollywood. Not just bankable, but like a really great actress. So, yeah, lots of conflicted feelings there. Yeah, this this movie utterly depends on her performance, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Oh yeah, oh because that's that's all there is. It is. It is <laughs> it's this, well, it's almost this, all there is. Yeah. This this movie, as far as like character development, it's all subtle emotion. What what she's going through is she doesn't have a moment where she is like, "I came here to this planet to harvest <laughs> men, but now what do I do?" It's all her <laughs> hearing a, a news report about this family that you know, she basically witnessed die and her feelings and like, and, and it's her reacting to that in this small, subtle way. That's like, that's growth for the character. Yeah. And, and Nicole, you put in our docket, you know, this movie also delves into the empathy required to fit into society. And she does have, if we were to align her with a human, it's like sociopathic tendencies of just being entirely disconnected from emotion and from empathy. And she slowly, very slowly starts to, unravel a little bit of that and it is to david's point very subtle it's after she witnesses his family it's after she has a change of heart with the last potential victim and lets him out of the void seemingly the only one she's done that to um it's like david said there's no bombastic declaration of i'm good now uh and similarly i suppose even the way she acts after deciding that she doesn't want to hurt that last guy. It's not like she's turning over a new leaf. It's more, she's just still like trying to figure everything out. Everything is so foreign to her that she's just opened up a whole new Pandora's box of potential emotions in this foreign world to her. And she doesn't know what to do with them. Uh, It's very subtle. Yeah. I mean, it's, and this is like, you know, she starts out being very, when nobody is looking, being very flat and emotionless seeming, um, you know, but she's able to be very charming when she's luring her victims. You know, she's very erudite. She really seems to understand human emotion. She comes off as incredibly empathetic with, you know, the, the man with the disfigured face that she picks up um, last and, you know, I think that's what finally gets her. Is I think at some point she finally understands what he actually has gone through and what his life is like and what she's doing to him. And she, something in her says, no, this is not okay. He needs to get out of here. Um, so, and I mean, I think that's, and it's conveyed with so you know, really subtle changes in her facial expressions and her body language. You know, she does. Yeah. Like she doesn't have a, a, a monologue about (laughs) how she feels. She doesn't have dialogue with that guy about why she's letting him go. She doesn't talk to anybody about what, you know, this development of feeling that she's having. And it's, it's a really well done 
performance. You know, I have to give her that as however I feel about her and it changes from one minute to the next, but she is a very good, she is an excellent actress. Yeah. And I also think on top of that with Adam Pearson's character, Adam Pearson, you know, plays the, the, the last guy that she lets go with the disfigurement and, um, it's a real disfigurement. There's not any prosthetic or, or makeup being done there. He's a well-known, uh, you know, public speaker, and he's done a bunch of stuff uh, at, in advocacy of raising awareness um, for what he's gone through and what his brother's gone through with a similar deformity. Um, and his character, when she picks him up in the van, uh, it's not it's not sexual as it is with all the other guys. All the other guys get into the van because they're being lured by this this pretty lady that's asking if they have a girlfriend. And sure, she kind of asks him some of those questions. She asks him if he has a girlfriend. She asks him if he has anyone to go home to. Um, but it gets deeper than that. And she starts to realize, like, oh, it's just the fact that he can touch my face is a big deal to him emotionally because it, he doesn't have touch in his life. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's the first time that she connects with any of her victims um, and, I, and I would probably even venture to, to guess, and I don't want to read too much into uh, into this gentleman whose life I don't know much about, but just kind of the way the character is played, um, it feels like she has to connect with him to kind of get him to maybe believe what's happening. Um, with the other men, it's just like, yeah, okay, come with me, cool, I'll, I'll lure you, no big deal. But like, this is maybe a guy who has always even you know how he kind of says like i i go shopping late at night because there's less people and you know he's always been kind of skeptical of people and has to not you know does what he can to kind of avoid them and and so her tactic with him is entirely different it is like let's have a real moment you know she uh, she worked with him uh or uh, the, the the writer worked with him i should say to um on that scene of like to make it believable uh, her quote unquote seduction of him. And I think that the, the, the part of that that really sticks out to me is when she's like, you have really nice hands. It is, which was his know, idea. Yeah, exactly. Which is like mm-hmm. finding a, a, like a, talking about a body part and, and complimenting him. Um, and not, you know, in, 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 in just like a very real genuine way. And like, I, I don't know, their, their interaction was probably one of my favorite ones to watch on screen. I am going to throw a an article that I read in, and you guys might very well have read this too this week, because uh, it's all over online for this movie. But I'll throw it in our discussion uh, docket, um, or rather our show notes for for the listeners. But it's it's how Scarlett Johansson helped me challenge disfigurement stigma, and it was written by Adam Pearson in the Guardian. Um, I do want to make a couple call outs that, that I, I feel bad just saying like this disfigurement. He has a condition called uh, neurofibromatosis. So that's the actual condition he has. And the version his brother has is more, to my understanding, dealt with a complete lack of like short-term memory. So it affects him yes. very differently, not physically, um, or at least outwardly physically. Um, but in any case, his advocacy has always been around like bullying and different preventative efforts around that as it relates to people with disabilities and deformities. Um, I really, really like that the way they handle this character in this movie. It just felt real and, and honest to me. And this article that he wrote in The Guardian talks all about how 
this is like the most vulnerable he's ever had the bin. He has to get naked on a soundstage with Scarlett Johansson. Like, and then walk <laughs> and then walk naked through a field. Right. Like in the morning. Oh, <laughs> uh, which so I, I just have an immense amount of respect for him. Just first as a human being, but second of all, just like taking on this role and, and being open with, with the folks making this movie about how can we make this as real as possible. And I, and I think it just speaks volumes to the care that went into the casting and non-casting we can get to in a second in this movie. Yeah. And there's a, there's another movie um, that I want to touch on briefly that I know uh, I, I haven't seen it, but Nicole, you talked a lot about this online, which is uh, Midsommar, which treats disfigurement as horror. It, it treated it right. as like, as something to be like, Oh, that's, that's scary and weird to look at. And I, I just really appreciated this film never did that that it never treated him as less of a, a human being. Um, it, acknowledge, right. it, it acknowledges his disfigurement in its own way, um, but it doesn't, I don't know, you get a much more sense of him as a human being than just, you know, this condition he has. Right. And the few things he says, you get a, a sense of what this character has been yes. through, yeah. you know, saying that when he goes out at other hours, that uh, kids wind him up. You know, they yes. they tease him. They say awful things to him. I mean, there there may have been an experience in his past, you know, like at school where a pretty girl, you know, said nice things to him on a dare and then made fun right. of him afterward. Or because people do cruel shit like that. Yes, yeah, that's what um, I'm saying. He probably was a little bit skeptical of of Scarlett Johansson for that kind of reason. Right. And then when she asks if he'll come home with her there's this moment where the camera focuses on his hands and you can see him pinch himself <laughs> to see if he's really awake and you know that that really that moment really got me you know this yeah. is not a this movie is is subtle in the ways that it moves the audience um but it's it was much more effective for me this time uh in that moment yeah that that scene in the van is really well done and definitely i think the most touching scene in the movie really it's also very I, well i do like go ahead nicole i'm sorry i i just like how it's it's very well acted by adam pearson i think probably because he kind of helped write the scene essentially yeah um and form how it went and, and exactly what you said, David, that they acknowledge his, his disfigurement. They acknowledge the effects that it's had on his life, but it's, he's still a, a person, yes. you know, he's a, he's a character and they, they focus on his humanity more than anything. And I mean, that's actually what she's focused on his humanity more than anything. I, I think it takes her a minute to realize that something isn't uh he is he is not a, your average man and that she needs to you know alter her approach with him in some way i also love how that scene is shot because a lot of this movie is shot in very low light uh it seems it's not, it's not fair to say low budget because it's a scarlett johansson movie but it seems to be filmed it, it, 
yeah yeah i mean it's it's like borderline gorilla style at times so in the way that they're filming like you can tell there's not a big light kit in this car there's a cameraman in the in the seat next to her um and the way they film these shots with her driving them at night she's always driving these guys at night for the most part and you're only getting the flicker the you know the yellow and orange flicker of street lights as they pass by you know here and there and a lesser movie would do the whole thing where it's like, don't see his face, don't see his face, see his face. And I really don't like that when, like, if I remember correctly, the Goonies kind of does that, like with like the sloth character. It's like, oh my God, he looks different. Yeah. And um, it's played for shock value. Right. And this doesn't do that. Instead, like, you don't see all of his face immediately. In fact, the, as the scene goes on, it's almost like the camera gets more comfortable with showing you more of him. But you you immediately see that he has a disfigurement. And then it just slowly starts panning a little bit more central to his face. So you can see his whole face. And, like, it, it gives this intimate feel where as they are forming this connection, the cinematography as well is opening him up to you more. Whereas when we first see him, he is this shrouded hooded figure in the complete dark. There's not even really streetlights when she first picks him up. Yeah. Now, when she's picking up people, I mentioned uh, non-casting before because a lot of this was shot with non-actors and hidden cameras to give the film a feel of authenticity. Uh, the guys that she's picking up. Uh, first of all, makes so much sense <laughs> uh, because... There's some guys on here that just feel so feel so real is a dumb way to put it because hopefully all acting that is good feels real. But there's just something very genuine and like everyday about the random guy walking down the street wearing his favorite soccer team's jersey that's getting picked up by Scarlett Johansson. Um, I do wonder how many times they had to go through people saying, are you Scarlett Johansson? But apparently not many because <laughs> apparently not a lot of people recognized her. Interesting. Uh, but I, I well, love that aspect of the movie. The, yeah. Yeah. The wig does kind of change the shape of her face a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and she's, she's in one of her um, more plush phases in this movie yeah. than she is in like her Avengers fighting shape. Um, well, and, and also think about it. You're walking around Glasgow and are you thinking like, I'm going to run into Scarlett Johansson today. So you see a woman, <laughs> They're like, oh, she looks kind of like Scarlett Johansson. You have a little conversation with her, and then, like, you know, you walk off, and you only find out later when a member of the the crew approaches you and is like, "Hi, we're filming a movie, and you're in it. How do you feel about that?" <laughs> yeah, we need your permission on this form here. <laughs> yeah, and uh, hey, if you did well enough in that scene, we need you to walk naked in a black void. <laughs> <laughs> Are you cool with that? Are you cool with walking across a? stage with an erection let's and us getting that on film a couple of Is guys cool? apparently were so yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite pieces i read about this movie online it just seemed to and I, i'm not gonna link to it or anything like that because i i'm not talking ill of it but i think it's so funny and it's such a it's such a result of a movie like this which is someone just quibbling over the wrong part of the movie to think really deeply into. And it was this entire like four page article I read about just the, the way her void must work and whether the van itself (laughs) is the void, right? Like, because you never see her get in or out of the van, they come into the van and then they're in the void is the van, the, does the van get them into the void or like, is it only abandoned houses? 
it's I mean, it's but i loved it because it was it was the right kind of quibble or is the wrong kind of quibbling of of yes of this film that films like this breed that kind of discussion and yeah. it yeah. did make me think though that if you're going to be inconspicuous is a big white van the best way to go about it i don't well, know no and that but that's going back to kind of the sexual predation stuff. Like that's the image we have in our heads, right? Is like the person in the big white windowless van driving around <laughs> picking people up. Don't Scarlett get in Johansson. the kidnap van. Don't get in the kidnap van. And yet, and yet a couple guys just are like, yeah, uh, sure. I'll take a ride. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that particular style of van is, is fairly common in the UK for, yes. you know, workmen to be right. driving around with. Well, so are white windowless vans here. I would argue. Oh, yes, that's true. That's true. Although they usually have the name of the company that's stenciled yes. on the side somewhere. <laughs> they do have a big old sign. Yeah, and and to your guy's point earlier about the the guy that she spends some time with at his house, there's also I think a level of innocence is not the right way to put it, but it does seem like she goes through several towns and neighborhoods that are the kind of places where there's 700 people that live there and they all keep their front doors unlocked. Like it seems like there's a little bit more of a trusting atmosphere than if she was driving around chicago trying to get people into her van <laughs> well yeah i mean it's more well she's picking up people in her van in glasgow which is a, one of the biggest cities in scotland but um you know the villages that she goes to that's more you know there are rural towns like that in america right. where there's much more interdependence among the residents of the town you know they de- they depend on each other to you know take care of each other sometimes and so, yeah, there's a more, um, th- whether or not people like it, they don't always like it. You know, they're introverted people everywhere, but there's a little more of an intimacy sometimes in small towns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, yeah, I mean, I do like that you get sort of the, the range of how people live in this movie, even though it's a very, you know, Scotland's a very small country. It takes you like two hours to drive across it. Also, just like, don't walk on the side of the highway. Just as in general, <laughs> as a good move, use the sidewalk. They're all over. I assume they have them there. I haven't been, but I assume so. Uh, the Not sound design. The highway. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's, a, there's a sidewalk going where you need to go. You don't need to be on the side of the M8. Uh, <laughs> um, I also do, actually, speaking of the M8, I also kind of like, you talked in, in about like, gender roles nicole there she plays into the whole like i'm a damsel in distress it doesn't know where the m8 is please help me man and they some of the guys kind of eat it up um oh yeah another very fascinating part about the you know the when she is the predator in the beginning of the movie uh let's talk about the sound design and the score the the vwoming and buzzing and it's i from a musical perspective and Nicole, you sent me a great article on this that again, I'll link in the show notes. I wasn't surprised that the composer composed this almost entirely electronically on MIDI keyboards because she had the ability to sit on a sustain pedal, pressing five notes of different electronic string sections that are a major and a minor combined. And then use the vibrato pedal on what a MIDI controller would typically have to just go up and down and up and down and give it that like fluctuating sound that you get that is both the score and like the language of what Scarlett Johansson's uh, race seems to speak at the beginning of the movie. 
Uh, it's really cool how she wrote the music. It is very, very interesting to me. I mean, she was so young. She was 26 when she wrote the score to this movie. It's kind of amazing. I mean, it's it's become iconic within, you know, the film score industry. This is it's a very... well-respected uh, work that she's yeah. done here. Um, very, yeah, very I was able to find a good... Yeah, it, it, yeah, it follows is it follows kind of a similar um, sort of spare um, attack to it. But the one thing I wasn't able—I'm actually kind of hoping you can help me figure this out, Brett. But I—I <laughs> I was able to find stuff about the score, but I wasn't able to find a whole lot about the sound design because this movie is only silent at the very beginning. And at the very end. And in the mm-hmm. meantime, there's sort of this... This sort of hollow tone that sounds almost like... Um, like a you're inside a giant concrete pipe or, you know, a highway mm-hmm. that's like five miles away and you're hearing just the trace of sound from it. It's just this constant background noise. And I wasn't able to put my finger on quite what it was or what it was supposed to be. Yeah, it's it's very drony. Uh she has a lot of that like kind of beehivey type sound that just echoes in the background. I'm I'm surprised in the interview, and maybe this is a result of being a a twenty six year old, where when asked if she admires any film composers, she just kinda takes a shot across the bow at film composition and says that they're all pandering. Um, I'm surprised she didn't say <laughs> yes, Trent Reznor, uh, because there's some Trent Reznor vibes here. But like to, to answer your question, I think, I think it all has to do with the fact that this is composed entirely on a MIDI controller. You know, a MIDI controller is, is something where she can literally just sustain these echoing notes indefinitely um, by just holding something down because you're not using a traditional, um, piano or something like that or a keyboard that's hitting a string or hitting a note that's going to vibrato out uh it's just going to stay forever and you can use so many a digital effects that she has in her repertoire here um to give those far out drones and just slightly bring them up because like uh, this is bad podcasting here's a midi keyboard <laughs> i'm holding one up to the camera for my co-hosts on a MIDI keyboard, you have these lines that you can move with your finger, and hopefully I can describe this for the audience listening, that let you change the vibrato and the pitch. You can, can change both it's at like once. Little skinny, it's like little skinny trackpads. Exactly. And mine actually happens to be a trackpad. Some of them would be a dial. And you can basically go up and down on these. And I can picture what she's doing while making this movie is she's going up on one, down on another. So the pitch is going high up, which as a result of that is decreasing the volume of the actual sound. It's getting lower and vice versa. She's using entirely new age recording style in that way. You know, she's she's a DJ, uh, which is, is unsurprising to me. Like she is steeped in electronic music. So I think that's where all this is coming from to make a long answer short is there isn't a string section. It's her pressing that button. But what, what do you think that sound is like? What do you, what do you think it's, what do you think it's made from? And what do you think it's supposed to be? Interesting. (laughs) I get the vibe that it's a, a heavily modified 
like synth chord. Like, and I say synth, and I know in, in people's minds they think of like the '80s, but I'm thinking of like a sound modulator that is taking the sound of something like a synth, like an electronic note, and then distorting it and adding a ton of digital settings onto it, like reverb and echo. And it seems like they play with the compression to make it just go really, really loose to give you that wide sound. I'm, I'm trying to describe it the best way possible, I think, of what I think it is. And I think that's part of it is that she's heavily modifying a digital sound of some sort. And I don't know what that could be, to your point. I don't know if it's like a synth that she's modifying. I don't know if it's if she's taking some sort of sample from like an existing instrument or something like that and modifying it. Like there's times where she has like the scraping across strings and you can't really do right. that on a synth. So my assumption is that she has a sample set of strings being scraped across that she's then loading yeah, into that synth and pressing on, those buttons. Yeah, she composed on viola, I think, for the most part, mm, which is that where makes, you get yeah. that, that string bit that's sort of the seduction and danger uh, theme right. in it. But I'm just wondering if you had any thoughts on what what that sound actually is in the movie. Like, is it is it the sound of her own blood in her ears is it the sound of the wind far off is it the sound of you know loneliness i don't know you know <laughs> man see that the, the, but it's uh, so, very affecting okay so th that's what you're getting on. at see i'm thinking this is the mindset of like yeah. how is she creating the sound you're thinking more in the mindset no, of, I this, mean, of I did, this narrative i am curious about it technically but i am i also i'm very curious as to what it's supposed to mean in the movie. What, yeah. you know, what role is it playing there? David, the do you vibe have any? That's just like the inner, it's like the inner motor just constantly running in the background. It's a reminder that something otherly human is happening. Yeah. I think it is. It's just, just kind of this mild, uh, feeling of being unsettled. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's kind of always, it's keeping you from ever kind of just relaxing into the scene. And it's like, there's, because, because we know uh, that there's more to her kind of than meets the eye, uh, you know, when she's having conversations with just random people. And I think from a storytelling perspective, it's kind of working in that way where it's, it's just, it's keeping you just a little bit on edge. You're, you're, you're mm -hmm. not quite, you can't just quite settle in. Yeah, it's like you almost don't notice it until it stops. Yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, "Wait, what? Something's different. What's going on? I'm freaking out." <laughs> what? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I just the sound in this movie is remarkable, and I I was very uh, very glad that I watched it. Um, I got to see it in the theater for one, and got to have the theater sound. Um, at one point, but also like if you watch this, I would almost recommend watching this like on a laptop with headphones over watching it on a TV. Hmm. Yeah, I could I could see that. I also think I think another element might also be that they wanted to find something, I think. And, and I read an interview somewhere with her talking about this. I'll have to dig it back up where you want to find like instrumentation that feels alien enough for you not to quite be able to put your finger on it 
like not really know that's a viola or whatever it is that she's recording with. Um, familiar enough that it's not jarring, right? You don't want metal machine music happening in the background of this movie. Uh, but just having that like otherworldly sound that is something different and unid- but there is something slightly identifiable about that, right? Like you can tell like, oh, that kind of sounds like scraping by a lens. Like there is something slightly human about it in the same way. There's something slightly human about her toward the end of this movie in a way. Mm. We can have the what does it mean to be yeah. human talk again, guys. <laughs> oh, <boy>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. Although, you know, it could also be um, like a like an anthropologist or like a primatologist, you know, like Diane Fossey or Jane Goodall, who went originally just to study, you know, this particular species and became so fascinated that and they became you know like family to them and and they came to love all these beings that they were studying just by virtue of them being themselves you know and uh just falling in love with that uh, I don't know their their whole way of of living with one another and expressing themselves and and I wonder if that's kind of part of what happened if she you know realizes that this is maybe this is better than the way her species relates to each other and she wants to join humanity if she can. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, I found the article I was talking about. I looked it up in my history. It's another Guardian piece because they're all Guardian pieces because this was a UK movie. Uh, So she says, quote, I didn't listen to a lot of other soundtracks when I was writing. I was worried about being porous. Um, A lot of her influences came from people like John Cage. Entirely unsurprising. Listen to John Cage music. Um, But also strip club music, which is that was more interesting to me. Um, But I do want to note here that she said for under the skin, we are looking at a natural sound of an instrument to try to find something identifiably human in it and then slowing things down, changing the pitch of it to make it feel uncomfortable. So that's kind of what I was talking about where she's using midis to change pitch in a really dramatic way that you just can't do on a physical instrument. Um, There's a lot of talk about perverting material. It does sound creepy, but we were going for sexy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's creepy, sexy, (laughs) creepy, sexy, right? Like Elvira, right? Right. <laughs> All right. Well, let, we'll move on to our last discussion topic here, uh, which is the beach scene. <laughs> and this is what David alluded to earlier uh, when David was talking about how she hears about this family that she saw die and she hears about them on the radio. And uh, it's it's the mom and dad go in the ocean or the dad's trying to save the mom from drowning. And then well, the, swimmer- the mom goes after the dog. The dad yeah, goes right. after the mom. The dog, Never, I forgot. And then the swimmer goes after the dad. Never let your dog just play an open oak. God, come on. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's high tide? <laughs> um, but rip and tides, then, man. Oof. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so the swimmer. You can, you can see the rip current going yeah. on, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first of all, just an incredibly distressing scene to watch because it's all shot from a distance. So they don't, they didn't play with camera angles in a way to make it. I don't want to say make it easy to shoot because none of, none of that's easy to shoot. But it seems to me like it would be harder to coordinate a scene like this from a distance where the camera is on a cliff 
in the opposite direction and they're filming you from 100 yards away and you have to keep it one continuously long shot where people are dipping down underneath the water uh, in this incredibly high current. And you must imagine that they have scuba or something under there to you know keep them safe. Oh, sure. But gosh, the way they film that from a distance in one shot is makes it, the tension just goes through the roof versus like being up close and personal in the water with the people. It reminded me a little bit of the final scenes of Roma that we talked about. Yeah, I thought the, you know, it's it's supposed to be from the the alien point of view. So it's mm-hmm. this dispassionate distance, just observing everything and taking everything in. And I think that, I think that almost makes it worse than if you had close ups of the people yeah. going under the water. That it's just because you're at the distance where there's nothing you can do from there and what's going to happen is going to happen and in all its awfulness um not that she seemed not that she really wants to do anything about it because i think she's just observing and figuring out what's going on and how is this going to affect me trying to get this guy in the dive suit to get in my van uh (laughs) apparently my subtle hints aren't working let me hit him with a rock yeah right (laughs) that 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 scene of everything was just a little it was a, it's hard to watch um, well cuz then she leaves their baby like that that's and, the reason yeah, that the scene is ultimately so distressing i was going to say it gets compounded when she starts dragging the body and you hear a crying baby and it's like oh oh, oh no apparently yeah, that was really yeah, highly stressful be on set because like the actual mom of the baby was off to the side like also kind of distressed by the whole situation well that's how that's how it works that's how you that's how well, they do sure. it sure i mean yeah, I mean the baby is genuinely in distress and and upset and you can hear that in its voice, you know that it's it's confused and it's unhappy and doesn't know where its parents are and freaking out and she leaves the baby and it's like you know she leaves the baby and it's in distress and it's distressing to watch but you know the baby's baby's far from the water and it's kind of okay maybe somebody will find the baby but then you see the the motorcycle guy come back um Mm. to pick up the um the swimmer's tent and belongings to take away all traces of him and he leaves the baby crying and screaming on the beach with the tide coming in in the dark and you're just like, oh, oh no! Yeah. <laughs> this actually got even worse. Yeah. So when that kid but, grows up in real yeah, life. Just, this is why you're so unreasonably scared of water. It's so effective. No, they don't yeah. find the baby. You don't hear anything about the baby in the radio story. No, I mean the baby in real life. <laughs> oh. <laughs> going to have some issues with oceans and water down the line but right they don't find the baby yeah yeah it could be and the you know the alien woman it kind of hits her both with the radio story and that you know she's sitting in traffic and she hears a baby cry and there's a baby in the car next to her that she looks over at that's about the same age as the baby that she left on the beach Mm -hmm. and i think that's when it really that's when it really starts for her, you know, f- this feeling for humanity. Absolutely. So and it's this whole, you know, re- the movie is this whole realization process of, you know, the, all the, 
all the things that make humans human and, you know, the bad things and the good things and the beautiful things and how she might want to become, try to blend in with humanity and discovering that she can't. And, yeah, you know, it's... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I also it's really, so good, which is why I brought it to you. <laughs> yeah, we, we 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 we've hit it to death here, and and we'll leave in a moment. But I also do want to mention that you said you know there's something about the beach scene that's very dispassionate about her just watching it from a distance. And I think on top of that, you have the element of because it's from a distance, there's not just emotion from her, but you don't really get all the emotion of the people. You kind of have to project on it as a fellow human that knows what's happening. Otherwise, it kind of just looks like someone's really having a hard time swimming, another guy's swimming toward her. Like you don't hear the screaming and the drowning and the and the franticness. Only a little bit when the diver brings the guy back to shore and he immediately goes straight back out. Do you get any of that human emotion of what's happening? It's all us projecting what we know about the situation to be true onto it. I think not having any of that audio, not having any of those facial expressions um, in that shot, just again makes it just that much more intense. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you see the diver come out in his exhaustion and despair after the, you know, he rescue he successfully rescues the father, but the dad goes back in to try to get his wife. Yep. So. All right. Uh, well, as we close yeah. out on that note, on a happier <laughs> note, do you want to take a shot at Mankey Coats? Because that's the only thing I have left in our docket. <laughs> <laughs> That was part of my, you know, so much going on here list. Sexual predation, <laughs> gender roles, the empathy required fit into society. Why you should study fashion for longer before you buy manky coats at the mall. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I can't blame but, an I mean, alien. maybe that's deliberate. If you see the clothes on display, you're going to think that's what people wear. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, or maybe it's a deliberate part of it because the, you know, the clothes that she initially strips off the previous woman are also slightly on the let's call it the tardy side (laughs) well and and part of that is on purpose because they they the i saw some quote i think from the director talking about how you know you see her in these wide shots and she sticks out just a bit based on what she's wearing she doesn't quite blend in which aids in the alienness of her yeah. yeah, the coat is just a little scruffy looking. The lipstick's just a little bit the wrong shade for her. You know, it's just enough that something's off, but she's still beautiful and, you know, attracting men. So. Did you notice, though, that with the manky coat, there's something like, I don't know, there's something about like the fact that it's like, it's like a fur coat. There's something almost like, I don't want to say predatory because that's weird to say fur coats are predatory, but like there's something like dominant about the fur no, coat that of. she, but right. But that she, that, that she then sh- sheds. Like, like she's she an leaves, animal. Right. And she leaves the fur coat behind once she lets the guy go. She never wears it again. And I, oh, yeah, we're true. getting a little English 101 here, but for what it's worth, um, she sheds it both emotionally <laughs> and physically. All righty. Uh, let's. Ooh. Let's wrap down before we start figuring out what color the <laughs> curtains are and whether or not they align with her uh, sociopolitical beliefs. Uh, guys, where can, uh, first of all, future classic. Uh, 
Is it a future yep. classic? Nicole, we already think you, you think it is. Uh, David, do you think it is? Okay, what I'm going to say is going to sound uh, a little bit like harsh judgment, uh, but it's it's not uh, entirely. I think this movie is going to fall in classics in a, a, a way that Phil Rude and I described a lot of movies we did on a, a show of ours as uh, dorm poster movies, uh, movies like Memento and Donnie Darko, the movies that you like discover in college that kind of like, you're like, whoa, you can make movies like this. Whoa. Uh, and you know, thus you end up with the poster of fight club, uh, on your wall, though. I, I wouldn't <laughs> say this in, in fight club or necessarily. I, I think the messaging of fight club fades over time where I think the messaging of this probably stands up a little bit more. Um, I think it will be, it will be a classic for people who are searching out, uh, their film identity in a way. And I think like kind of in the way that Brazil is a classic in its own weird little way, I don't see it being a classic in the the terms of, you know, you're going to watch this with your parents because, Oh God, don't watch this with your parents. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely think it's going to be discussed in move, you know, in film classes and, and people are going to watch it and, uh, because they're going to seek out different kind of indie films. And yeah, it, not not on the mass appeal side, but it's always going to kind of stick around in its own way. Yeah, I know we've, we've designated several of Nicole's future classic picks to the, uh, to the uh, this will be talked about in school. Cult. Yeah, to, <laughs> to the cult or, or, or like... Or the, the, the college film class pile. And, and I think both those are fair film again. school. Right. Um <laughs> I mean, I, I'm in that boat with you. I brought Paris, Texas. I can't remember if I... That was the future classic, but it's it's similar in that regard, I think, in a way. It's a very... If I was to try to call that movie a classic, which some people think it is, it would be like in a, in a very specific way. Um, and I think that this, this is a movie where I honestly didn't know where to land on it. After I first got done with it, I was annoyed at it. And I'm really glad Nicole told me to watch it a little bit earlier than I normally do. Because I went from being annoyed to thinking it was good. <laughs> and it, I needed that time um, to, to process <laughs> and to to think about what I saw and to think about just, just how profound it can be with saying so little. And, and it really does a lot with that. And gosh, I after our discussion and after that processing time, I am inclined to believe that this is so unlike anything I've seen in such a long time that by my own definition of future classics, I think it would fall into them in some category because I think of something like Fury Road, which one of us will probably bring as a future classic at some point. Um, the reason I designate that a future classic is because it's like an action movie. It's like nothing I've ever seen. Like it does things in action that are new and different. And it's a genre in which that's hard to do because I've seen a lot of action movies. And with this, I've seen a lot of sci-fi movies. I've, done the whole what does it mean to be human a million times and this breaks that mold just enough and in a unique way for me to be totally different from the rest and wholly unique and unto itself unto itself so loved it i think it is going to be a classic in some capacity i'm not sure what but uh nicole any final thoughts on your pick um it's you know just i think that this is a a landmark in science fiction, you know, like, 
excuse me, similar to, you know, the man who fell to earth. This actually in a in a way put me in mind of uh the 70s version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Just a little bit about the tone of it. Like you said, you know, this is very different and it's science fiction without a lot of it has some special effects, but most of them are subtle. You know, most of them are erasing the lines that were in the black floor. Um, just taking out the edges of things uh, for the most part. So <clears throat> it's a it's a lower budget science fiction that's that does a lot with just a premise. And so it's this underlying understanding that she's an alien for the most part. And then you only really see everything at the end um, of what she actually looks like underneath. And it's, you know, what you see under the skin uh, <laughs> <laughs> or oh, under I the skin it. of humanity or what have you. But I, I <laughs> do, I don't know that this is going to be seen as a, as a classic like 2001, but I, I do think it's going to be seen as a classic of science fiction. Um, just I can a, see a more understated science fiction classic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of what I was getting to a bit as well uh, in my assessment of it. Yeah. Right on. I'm glad that, that you also kind of had Manifel to earth vibes. Cause that's just something I kept thinking about a lot during this movie, particularly like, Oh, oh yeah. Hey, famous person I know. Why are you here in this? And uh, <laughs> um, oh, plus that- you get the bit at the end where you get to see his actual, you know, the way his his eyes actually look. Exactly, a hundred percent. But it definitely gave me the the mindset of like, wow, this is a shockingly profound performance. And and I love Man Who Fell to Earth. We should watch that sometime too. Have you got? Oh, no, I was about to ask if you guys have seen it, but uh, Nicole just mentioned she had. There goes my next nude too. All righty. Sorry. <laughs> Under the Skin. Check it out. It's on Netflix as of the time of recording. Remember, next week is going to be 1979's Mad Max. So really, in a way, another staple of science fiction, kind of. It, it, it's science fiction. We'll, we'll put it in that box. Uh, Nicole. It's, yeah, it's dystopian science yeah. fiction. You know, and you, you know, to be fair with around the world, you probably will need subtitles. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh Definitely. All righty. Well, uh, Nicole, where can people find you online? Um, I take care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash moviegoroundpodcast. Right on. And you, David? People can find me what I'm up to on Twitter. You can follow me there. Your name is Davluz. That's D-A-V-L-U-Z. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. We'd love to hear from you if you want to email the show. Hi, H-I at MGRpodcast.com. That's where you can do it. And otherwise, we will see you next week for Around the World from Mad Max. 